always fascinated with people that work with their hands, people that have an obsession with tangible things. And I'm always completely enthralled uh, with the men and women that will take like solid objects and bend them to their will, to their artistic means. Uh, I've loved this with food, obviously. You guys have heard me talk about food enough on the show these days. Um, but uh, even back in the day when I used to work on cars and I used to uh, assist in shops and I spent time as a, as a young preteen sort of shadowing uh, construction workers and and, and contractors and, and mechanics, just seeing these uh, folks uh, take hard surfaces like metals and woods and turn them into something functional, turn them into something beautiful. Uh, when's the last time you really just appreciated like real life craftsmanship? I mean, we spend so much time admiring these things on Instagram and on social media, but when's the last time you actually ran your hand over the curves of a brand new car. And when when it when was the last time you sort of thought about who was the person that designed that aerodynamic angle or those really interesting patterns that you're seeing now on taillights on vehicles? I was just driving the other day and I was like, wild, it never really occurred to me that the Mini's taillights are actually the British flag. If you look at them, I was like, that's fucking interesting. Um, it's, it's weird. Do you guys feel this way? Like, we spend so much time looking at like the most perfectly shot, the most exaggerated examples of real life that real life oftentimes just feels a bit duller, right? It doesn't feel as uh, photoshopped, right? It doesn't feel as filtered. And uh, every once in a while, usually when I drop my phone for a while, uh, I look around and I go, this is a beautiful table. This is a beautiful surface. And I think to myself, who is this person that built it? Who is this person that designed this thing? And I love the whole, you know, hipster movement that we've had. I mean, hipsters can be annoying, but one of the great byproducts of it was this love and reattention for the craft and artistry. People that are creating clothes, that are recycled clothes, uh, people that are hyper-focused on brewing beers, uh, folks that are uh, just making these amazing furniture uh, pieces. And so I wanted to make sure, it's been a while, I wanted to make sure that we open this show up even further. And I want to talk to the people that make this stuff. And today's guest, um, I saw his work on Instagram. And I immediately fell in love with it. I immediately fell in love with how he was bending wood and shaping wood and combining different um, grain patterns and textures uh, to make this beautiful stuff. And furniture such a furniture seems like such a racket, right? So most furniture that we buy comes from some sort of discounted house, right? I don't know how many fucking bullshit couches I've bought in my life, right? Bob's discounted furniture. You flip it over on the bottom and it's like <laughs> it's like someone was drunk with a nail gun right? It's just like, how is this thing going to hold up? And then the first overweight friend that you have and comes into your house and sits on your couch, it breaks the center section. And you're like, well, there goes $900 for a piece of shit. And I've always respected high quality craftsmanship. Unfortunately, it comes at a price. And there are a lot of us listening that it's very difficult 
for us to be able to afford that. But if you have a friend that is a woodworker and you are going to spend that kind of money, I like to throw that money at an artist. It's someone that loves their job. Um, and so I wanted to reach out to today's guest because looking through his Instagram, um, and apparently he has a YouTube channel, which I am now watching. Um, it looks like he really loves his job. And there's an emotional connection here. The stuff just feels emotionally driven. And uh, I've already interviewed him, and I understand why, but you'll be very surprised to hear some pretty emotional stuff on today's episode um, and how uh, you can uh, take loss and run that back through your work and your work becomes better and your work experiences become better. Um, so today's guest is Nick Sawyer. He is a craftsman, an artisan. Uh, his company is Sawyer Design. He designs and constructs studio furniture. Uh, I think they're out of Portland, Oregon. Um, really cool guy. Uh, I thought we were going to talk a lot about um, woodworking, but we got into filming a lot because he is, like so many uh, smart business owners these days, completely understanding that social media is the place to find clients, is the place to make money. And we talk a lot about how he had to go from uh, learning how to be a woodworker to now learning how to be a video producer and how that has changed his business. It's fascinating. There's almost, it's almost more profitable to be creating videos than it is to be creating products at this point. What does that say about us as a country right now? Which is weird. Um, so strap yourselves in. This, this is going to be a fun episode that talks about woodworking, talks about working with your hands, but also talks about documenting these sort of things and uh, his trials with YouTube, uh, his uh, business plan, and you, no matter who you are, whether you're someone that's working in the video industry or if you're someone that's, you know, knitting scars, you'll find this episode interesting and fascinating. But before we get into it, I want to thank everybody who has been following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Um, you guys have been sending suggestions for guests and I have been listening. Yes, I am trying to book as many as I possibly can. I just had a bunch of episodes booked for next week. I think I'm recording like three or four episodes next week. Um, I'm excited. The guests run the gamut. We have more actors coming on the show. We have other artisans coming on the show. Uh, other food folks coming on. Great stories uh, all the way around. So thank you, everybody, for collaborating and working with us. So let's not hold that any longer. Let's get into the show. Let's get into the episode with Nick Sawyer. And do yourself a favor while listening to this episode. Um, head on over to his Instagram account. Have this open at the same time. Go to Sawyer underscore design. Um, and you'll be able to scroll through and see a lot of these pieces that he references. Um, and they're gorgeous. And there's a lot of stuff that he talks about that I, while doing the interview, was scrolling through his Instagram page and was able to see the detail uh, of these things. Um, and it was very helpful. And I'm going to try to get some of these images and put them on the episode page for in love with the pro at in love with the process.com. Um, but it just may behoove you to be scrolling through Instagram while listening to this episode. So strap yourselves in. You got those noise canceling headphones on, crank them up to 11, uh, sit back, relax, and uh, get a greater appreciation for that couch that your fat ass is sitting on, on the brand new episode 
of In Love With The Process. Nick, thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being here this morning. Uh, it's a, <laughs> For some reason, this is a very early morning for me. Last night, I had so much trouble sleeping, so bear with my slow uh, brain patterns. <laughs> Dude, me too. You know when you have like the same caffeine source forever and then you switch it up and like that caffeine affects you differently than the caffeine you're used to <laughs> my wife got these uh, caffeinated protein shakes and i was like ah, five o'clock i always have a coffee at five o'clock and holy shit last night it was like 3 a.m i was like oh i'm so wired right now yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah the same same sort of thing well actually for me it was acid reflux it's my new thing and after i thought that you're just gonna say acid yeah it's yeah like, oh. it was acid we dropped acid last night <laughs> it, was a, it was a new type of acid that I've never had before. And whoo. Call uh, that turn up on a Tuesday, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was uh, old man problems. It was a week weekend of drinking. And then my acid reflux decided to pay me a visit at like 3 a.m. last night. I was like, fuck you, man. Um, but I'm here. I'm awake. I'm excited. I've been waiting for this. Um, I'm a big fan of your work, dude. And I'm a big fan of, you know, working with your hands, with working with organic materials. Um, I, you know, when I was a kid, I used to work in construction. I used to do, you know, lame construction and then house painting and that kind of stuff. But I, I never really had the, uh, the ability to sort of stick with the exact measurements and the details. So anybody that does very exacting craftsmanship uh i appreciate and and pretty much in awe of so i can't wait to chat with you about your stuff too that's awesome thanks man i i'm curious if you found me on instagram or youtube uh instagram instagram okay, cool. yeah which i also want to get into too at some point because this is a whole new world um and you seem to be doing an interesting marketing method for someone that is working with wood and working with b building with furniture so I'm excited to chat about all that. Um, totally. But before we get there, um, let's start at the beginning, man. Like, out of all the things in the world that you could use to tell a story, why'd you choose wood? Why are you working with wood, dude? 
Oh man, how do I say this? Not cliche, like Wood found me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So my background actually, evolutionary biology, uh, I did a lot of time waiting tables and I sort of stumbled into this uh, 2018. So four years ago is how long I've been woodworking. Um, And I was building some just really uh <laughs> dumb stuff <laughs> um like i made a little swing for our backyard at old fence pickets and it's it uh has just snowballed out of control to what i am doing today well hold on hold on you just skipped over what evolutionary biology what <laughs> that's very specific what, yeah okay what's the deal with that so that's what I went to school for, um, like analyzing phylogenies and we were using like machine learning to estimate birth and extinction rates over millions of years using fossil data. Whoa. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool stuff. But then I got done with that. I was actually pre-med at one point and uh, partied a little too hard. Um, <laughs> and the doctor thing didn't quite work out, which, uh, my wife is actually graduating residency this week. And after seeing all of that, I'm so fucking glad that I did not become a doctor because it does not look like fun. <laughs> uh, so, so, so why, uh, why did you want to, okay. So here's what I'm picturing. As you tell me that you were working with fossils and you're sort of trying to figure out the death rate of, of animals and ancient animals. I just assumed that you were the kid in Jurassic park that Dr. Grant like sliced the uh, raptor claw across his stomach. And you were like, I gotta get in this business. Like, how'd you, dude, I, I wish it was that cool. I was more like the computer nerd sitting in front of like a Python console, uh, <laughs> plugging away data, um, eating, you know, uh, lays the ruffles with the, the cheddar and sour cream. Oh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't nearly as glamorous as like, it was just numbers on a sheet, really. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And so were you always a computer nerd as a kid? I I guess sort of. Um, I mean, I don't know that any, I don't know that I was nerdier than anyone else. But uh, well, dude, my you're, parents would call me a nerd. Yeah. Well, you're talking to a computer nerd. Like when we were, when I was a kid, we used to build our own PCs and then we'd have LAN parties and we'd all get together and game together. Oh, dude. Yeah. You were a nerd. No, I didn't get into the, any of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was just trying to make you feel better that I called you a nerd because I was a bigger nerd than you, apparently. <laughs> But like nowadays, I'm totally down for a land party. That sounds tight. Yeah, I wish it still <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, okay, all right. So then you you went to school for computers, and then and but I always find it fascinating when someone decides to do like a a very sort of. Ah, very techie, very secluded, very, you know, by the numbers job. And then they go the complete opposite route, which is like then working in a garage with, you know, sawdust and and getting splinters and, you know, like crusty hands. Like what made you make that, that complete jump in the other direction? Yeah. So a lot of it was my wife told me I needed to get a hobby. She was in (laughs) medical school and, I was just, I was waiting tables at Roos Chris. I don't know if you know what that is. It's just a really fancy steakhouse. Uh, and uh, the server industry in general is just sort of a party lifestyle. And uh, <laughs> I needed something to do all day. 
uh, so I didn't sleep all day. And yeah, I got a chop saw uh, from festivals and stuff. I did a lot of like airbrush body art. And so I started out with signs and made like patio furniture out of used uh, fence pickets mm-hmm. uh, that I would find laying around. I didn't even use wood glue. It was so bad. Everything fell apart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always, and, hold on. I, I like the way you just sort of glaze over history. She used to do airbrushing, like body art, like airbrushing is a skill. So were you ever trained as an artist specifically? Like how'd you get into airbrushing? Dude, I, I always really liked art, but I'm colorblind as hell. So it's, Whoa. it, yeah, it's really hard to, I mean, I think everyone has that like uh, hump to get over the, uh, what do you call it, where you don't feel like you belong in that thing. Oh, the uh, the imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah that's, that one. That's like the theme of this season. <laughs> Everybody that's on the show talks about imposter syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it, uh, I don't know. It didn't seem like that was uh, uh, really the artist's life. Didn't seem like it was a, a fast path to money. No. <laughs> But I always knew that I wanted to do something for myself. My dad's an entrepreneur um, and my mom works for like the gas company. So mm. I saw like the two, the two halves of life. I was like, mm, that one looks like more fun. <laughs> what did your, what did your dad do? Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah. He owned an excavation business. Oh, cool. So yeah, yeah. we, uh, I grew up uh, digging holes. Yeah. 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 That's it's, like, it's cool. that's hard work. Like you're getting up early, you're, you know, loading trucks, putting trucks on trailers and driving around and digging up. It's tough work, man. That's real hard work. For sure. Did he have a big company or was it just him and a few employees? He had, um, let's see, two, I think six employees max at one point. Um, I mean, he was doing a million a year, I think at one point. So, But he was still, yeah. di- he was still digging holes, right? He wasn't just setting guys out. Uh, I think the busiest years definitely were getting more business when he was not operating a machine. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's the tough part. Cause when I was a kid, I used to do a lot of that stuff. I worked for an excavation company for like a short period of time as a kid and oh, really? all, all of these. Yeah. 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 It was like, I was like a, like a lackey. I think it was 17, 18 or something. So I was like basically sweeping dirt behind a shovel. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty (laughs) much. Um, But the thing that I saw with all those different companies was the struggle that the business owners would have of, you know, trying to find the right team, the right crew to be able to run those jobs uh, so that they could also be doing the management and going and, and getting the work. And so uh, every guy that I worked with was continuously stressed out because, uh, if you saw him on the job, that meant something was going wrong, and and there was a, a ton of shit going business wise that was just going uh, that needed his attention that he couldn't get to. Um, so it was always interesting to see these guys as as business owners trying to handle working with employees and also doing the managerial stuff. And you know, the show pri- primarily talks about filmmaking. A lot of those skills. Uh, when I started to run my own production company, I started to run my own business. Uh, I learned from uh, the dudes that were running construction companies because um, it's all kind of the same thing, you know? Yeah. I'd love to hear all of your organizational um, tricks for like production. I can only imagine what some of these, like your 12 kilometers. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, like bigger production. I 
setting up every shot and like planning everything ahead. I'm like a shoot and shit. I hope this makes sense in the edit later. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> See, this is what's odd is that you're a woodworker, but then you've also uh, had to go and become a producer and a video producer uh, with, with YouTube and everything. So it's, it's always interesting to talk to dudes like you who are like understanding the power of YouTube, understanding the power of social media, but then also suddenly being thrust into video production, you know? Yeah. It's been a fast trip. I mean, four years of woodworking, two years of video. I definitely wouldn't be here. Um, if so, I, I was in the shop one day and somebody called, I thought it was like a home advisor. The way he answered the phone, he's like, Hey, do you need video help? And I was like, Mm, nope thanks uh <laughs> he's like no let me rephrase this uh you need video help but i want to learn how to cut dovetails i'm just like up the road from you uh my buddy nelson and he had brought a, a channel up to a hundred thousand subs he's oh, wow. uh, wanting to do some documentary docu-series stuff this summer um he's uh he's got some time in the industry and he's helped me so much. Like I wouldn't have any idea what I was doing. I'd still be shooting on an iPhone. Yeah, no, I mean, that's great. That's great that you found it. it it's, we can go off on this tangent. I think this is funny. Um, yeah, I've talked to dudes that have done the same thing with stand-up comedians. So, you know, like how popular the stand-up comedy uh, podcasts yeah. are. A lot of that's due to uh, a handful of these, uh, young video people that reached out to stand-up comedians early on and, and they were like, hey, we will help you run your your podcast, your video podcast. So um, it's fascinating. There was a whole, there was a time period, especially with um, podcasts when they were in their infancy that became video podcasts that like uh, video dudes that had really shitty full-time jobs at some corporate companies were able to sort of jump ship and then get into uh, such a whole new medium. <clears throat> and I don't know if you listen to like uh, like your mom's house or like Tom Segura's thing, but uh, I've met his producer over there, Nadav, who did the same basic thing, just cold okay. called Tom and was like, hey, do you need help with your video? And now they're doing massive numbers. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. So that's not a strange thing to hear. Uh, you're lucky to have someone call you and do that. Definitely. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we sort of jumped ahead. Okay. So, um, you needed a hobby. <laughs> it sounds like, sounds like you were, were fighting hangovers. So you needed something to do with a hangover. <laughs> uh, and so then you got into woodworking. So you're, we, did you ever do any woodworking with your dad or anything? Or was this something that you were just like, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking figure this out. I mean, we did some, small stuff like two by four stuff you know framing my dad had a framing company at one point before me mm -hmm. um so he was definitely versed in in construction side of the world um and i so i remember we were getting ready to go to burning man um <laughs> 2018 and uh my one of my best friends mentor uh tim he uh, was a local in Boise. Mm -hmm. Oh, we need to talk about, um, uh, magic sword at some point. Remind me. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. They're from Boise. Yes. Uh, and yeah, he hit me up and I went over to a shop and gave him like a sample of some finish I was using. And he's just got this beautiful shop. 
he was working on this nine drawer dresser and it was all piston fit, hand cut dovetails, book match, front to back, all the drawers side to side, just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of was winging it. I, I had no idea how to construct furniture. Like I couldn't look at it and be like, oh yeah, you know, that that's how that case is done. And uh, after seeing his, I was like, oh shit, I want to make this. Like this is cool. Mm-hmm. And I never got to work with him, but he's been like a really good guiding light and someone to bounce ideas off of. Um, We just instantly clicked. His wife went through the same medical program my wife did. So it was kind of like looking 10 years into the future, like, oh, I'm going to be rich someday. Fuck yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) My girlfriend works in my same business. We're fucked. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I, I started a table and after Burning Man finished that table and like, I was so proud of that thing, all hand cut joinery, um, some really intricate stuff. And, um, then we moved and I had to start all over again and sort of started this rebranding. Um, I don't know that it was really rebranding. It was more like branding cause I didn't have any followers, um, <laughs> or business, um, yeah, I built a, a workbench. There's like this sort of rite of passage workbench called a Rubo. It's modeled after a 17th century, um, it, uh, foreign person, oh, French, uh, guy mm-hmm. named Andre Rubo. And, uh, it's kind of like the staple for any woodworker. And so I built one of those and I just filmed it and mostly time lapses on my phone yeah, and just did the whole process. Went from like 2000 followers to 20 K on Instagram in a month. It was crazy. Whoa, dude, you got super lucky with that. Is it just, so I don't know anything about this workbench. Is it because it was a specific type of workbench and everybody was uh, excited to see how you put it together? Yeah, there, so there's a few different types of workbenches. Um, there's like a Nicholson. This particular one has two vices. It is a leg vice, which just has like really big clamping pressure to the front of the bench mm-hmm. and a tail vice, which will clamp stuff to the surface of the bench. And it, I mean, it weighs 600 pounds. It's just beefy and it's a style, but I kind of went above and beyond cause I didn't have anything else to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the wife was at work 12 hours a day. So I just went ham on it and yeah, it was awesome. That's it, cool. It, it kind of started the, the spark. Well, why? Okay. So did you, did you always know that you were going to try to, you know, advertise what you were doing through social media or were you just like, I'm going to film this because this is what I'm doing. And then you just put it on social media and it caught fire and then that changed things. Um, so I guess I did skip part of my story. I went to sort of an incubator in Boise. I kind of call it a crash course MBA and I saw all of them using social media super effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually hired someone when I got here and she was doing the very, like, she'd be great for cosmetics or something. Just like, hey, fam, check out my, you know, whatever, sort of salesy and a little cringy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think I just started sharing me and people relate. I think more to a person than a brand. So I just sort of 
followed what was working. It was also, it's kind of a fun code to crack. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It definitely is a code to crack. And you're right, dude. Like it's, you know, cause I, <clears throat> when I started doing social media, I'd have, you know, a social media account for the company and I'm like, okay, so the company's going to be my main focus. And then I just had my own personal one. And then, you know, come to find out, obviously, I mean, it's such a stupid thing to try to figure out, but um, people want to actually talk to you, the artist, more than they want to talk to the company and they want to feel connected to you as an artist. And um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's always more How, successful to do it that way. I don't mean to turn this, but uh, I'm do curious it. about the whole podcast side. Like, how do you... It, it Like, there's no metrics or there's very few metrics. So, like, look up podcasts. Like, how are you getting this out in front of people? Is that just by the the good graces of each algorithm on the platform? Like I know Spotify reviews don't really do shit, but Apple reviews do, but not everybody's using Apple reviews. Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is for everybody <clears throat> to the other people that are in the room with us, to all the listeners, it really comes down to word of mouth. It really comes down to the listeners and your fans, um, you know, spreading the word, talking about it, leaving reviews because all of these hosting sites like to claim like, Hey, if you host with us, we'll give you traffic. There'll be traffic that comes through. No, no one gives a shit. You know, it's, it, it always comes down to your personal connections and that's where it starts. And then, um, if you do a show that catches fire or catches fire, but it's still incredibly tough. Most of all of our, um, cause we, I've been doing this now for just about five years and oh, wow. yeah, we've had, what was it? Last year was massive. We quadrupled our listenership last year, and we've already surpassed last year's numbers this year. Um, That's awesome. Thanks, man. It just hits a point where uh, it's, it's like sort of like that watershed moment where you just you do a great, consistent like with this stuff. You have to be consistent. You have to be constantly putting it out at the same time. So every Tuesday we release a show. Um, I'll do two shows a week if I've got time, but you just have to have consistency. And then I think people start to get used to your voice. People start to get used to hearing you talk, uh, and you become sort of a comfort for them. Uh, and then, uh, you just end up picking up more friends, word of mouth, word of mouth, word of mouth. And then <clears throat> I'll go on other people's shows and do stuff on other folks' shows, and there's a lot of cross-pollinization that happens that way. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, which works really well. But the, I haven't done video. Um, I thought I was going to start doing video, but video just increases my fucking workload exponentially. Oh, so Yeah. Yeah, dude, you know. Um, and so at this point, I'd rather be able to record three episodes a week and have them in a queue for everybody to listen to than spend an entire week cutting a video piece and then having that go up. Um, and then you're dealing with, you know, the algorithms and the amount of shit that you have to post on YouTube for it, even to show up on your fans, uh, you know, algorithm. So <clears throat> I just didn't want to be a slave to YouTube. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered the question. I kind of went off the fucking rails there. Yeah, no, that totally did. Like I've, I, I've been curious. I've been wanting to start a podcast. I'm not gifted with, uh, words technically, uh, but I think <laughs> it would still be cool to talk about the stuff that I'm into. There's a few other woodworker YouTuber people. And I've just been curious about like how that side of it works. Cause I mean, even the biggest podcasts out there, like their social media followings don't necessarily reflect their listenership. Yeah. I mean, for us, 
we do a pretty good job with it. So like, if you look at my social media, that kind of is where we're at. Um, and then, um, you know, it just fluctuates. Like, <laughs> I'll be 100% transparent. You know, I've had porn stars on the show. And as soon as you have a porn star on the show, then you're getting like a couple thousand new uh, followers that come out of the woodwork because she's posted on her Twitter account. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they all want to come over and hear what she actually sounds like. So um, you have to be strategic about some of your guests. But the truth of it for me, the show has now become uh I don't want to say it's profitable, but it's paying for itself, which is great because we have sponsors and we get all that stuff. But um, the show always paid me in a different way. Like, yeah, my job is all about connecting with folks. Uh, so uh, if I want to hang out with really great production designers that I want to work with on a movie, this is the easiest way for me to do it. If I want to hang out with actors, actually get like two hours with an actor that I've always wanted to work with, I actually get to bypass their agents and management this way and uh, have conversations. And then uh, when I started the show, I was like, hey, this is going to be primarily for filmmaking because I had so many young filmmakers, still do, writing to me every day going like, how do, you, how do you run your business? How do you do your shit? And I just realized that most of the stuff that's out there has been produced through the Instagram filter. So it's always like, life is so fucking rad. You know, I've yeah. got all this really great stuff. And uh, I just wish... That when I was younger, you know, like David Fincher or like Rob Zombie had a podcast where they were telling me, hey, don't believe the fucking hype, dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so uh, that's kind of what I did with this show. And um, I, the payment is through meeting folks. It is through like being able to talk to someone like you because I'm curious about you. And uh, who knows? You know, maybe we meet in real life. Maybe we do something together. You never fucking know. So Seriously, yeah the human connection to me pays in, in dividends. Um, and so uh, once I sort of got over that, and there's a lot of people that get into podcasting because they think they're going to make bucks. And it's like, dude, there's a reason why the comedians make uh, so much money. They've had years and years of advertising through like ABC, NBC, Comedy Central. They've built audiences, huge audiences off of touring um, so when they put together podcasts in a few weeks, they have a couple hundred thousand listeners. It's because of big businesses like advertising money that got them yep. to that point. Um, <clears throat> so if you're just a low buck like us, uh, it's just legwork. All right. It is time to uh, do a little of the sponsor read stuff uh, to talk about gear um a lot of uh even nick on this episode has a lot of questions about equipment seems like uh excuse me seems like everybody wants to know the type of gear that i'm using and what i'm doing so um yeah let's get into it but before i get started um i've got a new sponsor on the show very excited uh and he falls within the food category um, and, uh, for the first time ever in a while, actually this is the first time ever, honestly, that I've had, um, a sponsor want to record his own ad read. So here you go. Are you always eating Paschetti raw dog with only sauce and no meat? Tired of not having one meatball per day on demand daily? My social media app, Meatballs Daily, an app where you could download any kind of meatball once per day, is now open to all users. 
beef or ground turkey or even fake vegetable meat as balls? Don't get meat from your grocery store full of cockroaches where you could download a meatball now with Meatballs Daily. Use the discount code in love with the meatballs for 10% off your first meatball download. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, I'm in the mood for some meatballs. If you want more information about Meatballs Daily, head on over to Instagram and uh, check out at Nick Paolui. So it's N-I-C-K-P-O-L-O-W-Y on Instagram. Now, um, those of you who are in the uh, Instagram or uh, YouTube business and you're trying to create your own content, your own videos, you all need a system to edit them on. And you need a system that is gonna run fast and efficiently for you. Uh, and maybe you're doing multiple things. Maybe you're video editing, maybe you're running CAD and CAD designs. Why not build yourself a PC? Why not build yourself a powerful PC, a computer that will last longer than five years, a machine that can be upgraded and that can be tweaked specifically for your needs. Um, and I'm talking about a Puget system. Head on over to PugetSystems.com. Uh, my favorite sponsors of the show. Um, I have two Puget System computers that I use every day, every day. So I'm doing 6K editing on my big one. Uh, we're still doing photo mastering. We're still doing 4K editing on the smaller one. Um, I love my Puget systems. They have been built specifically for me. I love the customer support that I get from Puget. And I love the basic, um, just general interest that a company has in what I do, which is great. I just don't feel like an algorithm. Uh, you know, I just don't feel like a statistic from an algorithm. I just don't feel like a larger company is just trying to offload their trash on me because I mean, how many of these things, right? How many of these big corporations, it's all about the unboxing experience. And then what you get, you end up throwing away six months later and they expect that, you know, why not do the right thing? Build yourself a computer that works specifically for you. Don't let your tools, um, dictate what it is that you want to do. You tell your tools what you want them to do. Uh, and if you're someone that is running a post-production company, if you're someone that is running a uh, color correction facility and it's time to upgrade all of your systems, Puget Systems uh, knows how to put together packages, knows how to put together uh, computers that all speak to each other, that work specifically for what your company needs, and talk about real human being customer support. It's awesome. Go to PugetSystems.com, choose a system based upon the software that you're going to use, um, and talk to them directly. Let them know what it is that you need, what it is that you want a, a computer to do, and they'll make it work for you. PugetSystems.com. Um, so we talk a lot about what kind of camera gear. We just got uh, our box full of wooden camera stuff, which we're very excited about. Um, so we're going to be uh, constructing our wooden camera rig, our handheld rig for the Blackmagic 6K Pro that we have. Um, and all of that is going to be powered by Indie Pro batteries. Uh, what I wanted to do was find a way to have all my accessories running off of one battery. Because, you know, you got the Teradek, you've got the small HD, you've got all these little details that require little batteries. And there's nothing worse than being on set and spending all this time setting up a shot, 
Maybe you're waiting for the perfect egg drop. Maybe you're waiting for your actor to find the perfect level of comfortability in front of that camera. And there's nothing worse than when the AC goes, uh, we just had a battery go down. And then they have to pull small batteries off. of the. It's a fucking nightmare. And it, even worse, if you haven't set up your rig correctly, you have to pull your rig off. You have to pull your camera off to get to the battery underneath. Um, why not set it all up so it runs on one battery, right? Get a little battery plate for the back, put it on the rail system, and then everything runs on that. And if you're using gold plate or even V-plate batteries, and you have it, uh, and remember when cameras used to come with a battery charger? <laughs> so you have a battery charger that quickly charges these batteries. So you have three or four of them, you're never out of power, right? Uh, head on over to IndiePro. These are the guys that I found. I really like what they sent us. IndiePro is a one-stop shop for all your power needs for your pro video and DSLR cameras. IndiePro offers a wide selection of professional V-mount slash gold mount batteries and chargers, battery adapter plates, regulation cables, and many other unique power accessories. These solutions are compatible with most popular brands in the market today, such as Sony, Canon, Blackmagic, Panasonic, and numerous others. Located only 30 minutes away from New York City, IndiePro manufactures and assembles many of their power solutions in-house. This means if you need a custom power thing built, they can do it there. You don't have to wait for you know parts from China. It's pretty awesome, dude. Uh, we're offering a special discount code today for 20% off your entire first order from IndieProTools.com. The promo code is LOVE20. Use it at the checkout to receive the discount. Again, 20% off any of the power solutions at IndieProTools.com with the code LOVE20. Um, also supporting the show are our great friends over at ShareGrid. We talk about this, I've talked about this multiple times. You are waiting for that net 60 fucking paycheck to come in. Doesn't it blow your mind that some of these larger companies can do that? You're a freelancer, right? You're living month to month. I've got a client that was a net 90 client. It's ridiculous. How do I wait 90 days? Like, I can't tell my credit card companies that it's going to be 90 days. So are you sitting around waiting for your paychecks to come in, waiting for the next job? Maybe you had a job booked for the entire week and that job got canceled. That job got moved. Now you're in trouble. It's the end of the month and you're trying to make rent and you're starting to get crazy, right? You know what I mean. When you're not working for a long time and then you go on Instagram and you start to look at other people and you're like, why is that asshole working? Why am I not working? Why did that company not hire me to do that? And you start to get that anxiety. That anxiety starts to kick in and now you're saying yes to shitty jobs, right? Like those low buck jobs. This will be super easy. All I need you to do is this one thing. And then you say yes to it. And now there's another thing. And now there's another thing. And you are literally getting paid 0.5% of what you should have been paid on that job. Because you're desperate. One of the best things you can do for your career is to make sure that you have an alternate source of income. Another revenue stream which helps take away that anxiety when you're making decisions on what jobs to choose and to pick. One of the best ways to do that, especially if you're someone that owns equipment, maybe you put yourself in debt by buying the new airy rig. You know what I mean? And so you have all this gear that's just sitting there anyways. Maybe it's all packed up because you were about to go do a gig. So it's out. Why not put that out to be rented? Put your gear up on sharegrid.com. At sharegrid.com, you can earn extra money renting your gear out to local filmmakers and photographers. But I know what you're thinking. Well, it's my equipment. So what happens if something happens to my gear? I spent a lot of money on this gear. Like, how am I protected? 
ShareGrid vets every renter and gives them access to instant insurance to make sure that your gear is always covered against damage or theft for 100% of its value. I was just talking to my filmmaker friend this weekend. He was here for the barbecue. He actually puts, super smart, he puts like a little tracker in there, a little GPS, hides it in his cases when he sends them out. So he knows where his cases go. He's a little crazy like that, but it's kind of smart too. ShareGrid is the largest camera sharing community with over 150,000 creatives sharing over 1 billion uh, worth of equipment. Sign up today at sharegrid.com backslash ILWP and get $100 worth of promotional credits for your listings. So you can actually promote your stuff, get ahead of the pack, get your things out there. Be like, yeah, I have those lenses, but uh, my shit showed up first on the search. You know what I mean? Uh, you can list all types of gear, camera, lighting, audio, grip, props, or even location. Really anything production related. Uh, don't wait. Start putting your gear to work. Go to sharegrid.com backslash I-L-W-P. Um, who else are we uh, sponsoring today? Oh, we're actually going to talk about these guys in the episode. Um, uh, Jesus Christ, my brain just... See, this is what happens. This is what happens. When you only get five hours of sleep, you wake up and you do a podcast with five hours of sleep. You're sitting here going, uh, who, what, what? Your brain, like, you just heard the sounds of the rusty gears of my brain lock up. When all I wanted to do was talk about Jambox. Jambox.io. So a lot of you who are listening to this show are people that are trying to figure out how to get more viewers on YouTube, how to get more traffic to your show. And yes, you can raise your production value. Yes, you can go out and buy more gear, try to get a crew, get your editing up to point, make that stuff look great. But as we talk about in the show, it's about what is in front of the camera. It's about uh, what is fascinating. What are people going to want to watch? And it's about emotional connectivity, 100%. One of the easiest ways to get an audience to connect with subject material you could shoot something that has absolutely zero emotional context. You put a great emotional track underneath that and some clever editing. And the next thing you know, tears, tissues, right? Pass out those tissues. We're crying. Why are we crying for this woman that's like a corporation? Oh, because of the music. The music made it happen. Head on over to Jambox. It is a great resource. These guys have incredible music. They run Jambox. <laughs> they run Jambox like a record label. So they actually collaborate with very talented musicians. They create albums, they create EPs specific for Jambox. These guys have been in the business of creating music for trailers, doing mu music for movies prior to doing Jambox. So they know exactly what the marketplace is looking for. They've done uh, music and sound for Michael Bay trailers, right? And so the stuff that they put on Jambox is at that level, is at that quality level. So we're talking about a music licensing website that creates Michael Bay level tracks. And the thing I love about Jambox is depending upon the subscription plan you use, uh, you can actually get stems. So you can pull those tracks apart and build your own version of that track to fit your edit. Check out their subscription plans. For all of you uh, vloggers, YouTube, podcasters, the unlimited creator plan will save your life. You have access to all their songs for $9.99 a month. You get a 30-day free trial. If you do it, 
Um, and uh, you get access to all the music, unlimited downloads for social media, web streaming, personal student projects, film festivals, etc. So it's only $119 a year. And you have access to an entire catalog of music. That means you don't have to use the same song for every episode. It means you can use multiple songs in an episode. That means your stuff carefree. You won't have a problem uploading to YouTube by getting these licensed tracks. It's amazing. If you're doing corporate stuff, you're getting paid $19.99 a month. If you're a student, same deal as the unlimited commercial account for $19.99 a month. You get that for six a month. And if you're someone that is tired of subscribing, you can just do single song licensing starting at $19.99. Easy. Easy. Changes the way everything sounds, changes the quality. You can start to actually manufacture the emotion that your piece needs using great music from jambox.io. I'm telling you, <laughs> this is the point of these ad reads where I always take a deep breath because I'm like, Mike, how do you tell these people how important this is? This is the most important sponsor that we've had on the show. If you're a creator, this is the one, and they're not paying more than other people. This is the one that will change your work 100%. Go to jambox.io, just listen to their catalog, and get excited, get inspired. Um, all right. I think that's it for sponsors. Do me a favor. Click on the links in the description of this episode when you're trying to use this stuff. I may have a specific Jambox link. I think I do. Let me, let me double check because maybe I'm not giving you the trackable link. Uh, I don't know. I think it's just Jambox. But if you look in the descriptions of each of our episodes, you'll see all of the musicians that we play on the show. We have them up there. I will have links to not only our guests' websites, but my websites. And then you'll see all of these sponsor links, like Puget Systems. It's Puget It's puget.systems.go.ilwp right? Is that what that is? Click the link because the links are weird. And what's the most important part? These are trackable links. They're traceable links. That means the sponsors know that I sent you there. That means the sponsors are like, hey, there's a return on investment here. You know what I mean? So they stick around. And if you got time, I love it when you guys do this. Just write to these sponsors on Instagram. Say, hey, I heard you want to love with the process. Thanks for sponsoring the show, dudes. You know what I mean? It helps me. It fucking does. So please do it. Um, that's it. Okay, let's get back into it with Nick. You, you got some badass sponsors, though. I was stoked to see, uh, like, Quasar. Uh, my The first lights I ever got were from Nelson, that uh, uh, yeah. uh, guy who called me up, my buddy, and he left his, like, quad of uh, Quasar uh, tubes in my shop, and that was what I have been using. They're awesome, man. Dude, they're phenomenal. Quasar's really great. I love those guys. I've been guys. trying to figure out how to... I actually pitched Aperture one time uh, when they released the new little ones. Uh, I was like, hey, uh, woodworkers need really good light. And I think I could spin this off to get you into a new market. And it's just crickets on the other end of that email. But well, dude, uh, it's, but it's, you know, it's funny because people ask me about sponsorships all the time. And uh, my first sponsor that I got on the show 
uh, was my buddies over at Puget Systems, and they build the computers and the edit systems. Yeah, um, I hit them up, actually. Oh, great. Good. Um, I met those guys prior to doing a show, and I was doing, I was lucky because I was directing music videos for a while. So I was doing very high-end music video stuff. Cool. Um, and part of what you would do is uh, behind-the-scenes videos. So <clears throat> at that time, I was able to reach out to sponsors just as a director and say to them, like, hey, uh, this is a pretty high-profile artist. I'm going to be doing a behind-the-scenes thing. Do you guys want to sponsor the behind-the-scenes thing, which is going to have a ton of eyes to get on that? And so um, initially, that's how I hooked up with Puget Systems, and we they sponsored me just as a director for about a year. Um, and how I got them, and I don't mind giving this out to everybody that's listening, because I know so many of you won't fucking do it <laughs> to your own detriment. Um, how I got them was that I fucking called them on the phone. So there's something to be said about sending emails and hiding behind emails and hiding behind texts. If you really want to get your hands on a great sponsor, put together Understand what the sponsors need, because all these companies have an advertising budget. They just do. And all these yep. companies are sitting on gear that they have to give out. They just do. And so if you think about that company and a new audience for that company or an, a, an interesting opportunity for that company to have really great social media content for their stuff that is different than anything else, then if you craft a great email that says, hey... I was interested in doing this stuff. Here's what I think I can do for you with this project that we're doing. Do you think you would be interested in either donating gear or getting us gear? Um, or at this point where we're at, where it's like, no, 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 finance the show, help finance the show. Um, and you'll be surprised. I, I, I write to, on a daily basis, I probably write to two different companies a day. Uh, I stack up. I'd say, you know, five to six sponsors a quarter and be patient. Like I'm still, I'm still courting sponsors that I started to have a communication with six or seven months ago. And I just know the slow train that is the corporate world. And so as long as you're patient and uh, continue to uh, hit them up, it'll eventually come your way. Just, totally. I think having that uh, unique value proposition that you can pitch to somebody is so important. They're they're getting so much inbound. We're getting so much inbound every day that yeah, yeah. Uh, if it's not super just like enticing and have it, if it doesn't pop off the page in some way, you're you're just another email that gets put in the trash can yeah, for call. For sure. But yeah, the, the call thing's a great idea. It uh Nelson uh, is working on some documentaries and he uh, came up with a, or came across a saying, I think, and it was like hard to hate up close. Like yeah. it's way harder to say somebody like say no to somebody when you're speaking to them on the phone, like everyone's super nice and like you want to be friends with them. That's a great tip. I like that. Well, <clears throat> and then also take this in, here's another good tip. <laughs> take this into consideration. Um, oftentimes it's not worth it for you. So when you, I've had horrible sponsors where they'll send me a piece of equipment that's probably worth like two, $300. And what they want in return is worth from my, my angle, like five grand where it's just like, Hey, we want you to make multiple videos. We want you to talk about multiple things. 
And so just be real with yourself because the next thing you know, you're spending all this time sort of catering to a sponsor that is really getting the deal uh, from the whole the whole situation. And you see this all the time with kids that are doing unboxing videos or they're doing all this advertising for these giant companies where they're like, wow, I got some free shampoo in the mail. Let me make them a fucking video. And you're like, dude, that company would normally spend about fifteen to $50,000 on that content that's hitting your demographic. And they just sent you a box full of shampoo. And not yeah. just you, they sent like 200 other influencers, boxes of shampoo. And yeah, so, free shit's cool until rent's due. And then it's like, right. you, you got to get real about it. Right. So be smart about it. And just ask yourself, is it better for me just to go buy it? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had this sponsor reach out last week. And they're like, hey, we do hand-painted, full-size longhorn skulls. We want to sponsor a video. I was like, cool, I have zero interest in one of those on my wall, but uh, <laughs> what's the offer? And they're like, we'll give you $1,100 plus a skull. I was like, great, how about twice that no skull? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, don't want the skull. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Smart, dude. Yeah, because... And then once you start asking companies for money, then it takes a lot longer. Then the whole department thing changes. And, and you, <laughs> without insulting anybody, the funny thing is that when I'm dealing with folks that are doing like cold calls like that, it's usually like a junior, junior, junior assistant, like underneath the company who just got hired to do social media at a college. And so yep. they're very allergic to getting on the phone they're very afraid of all that sort of stuff oh i see calling me yeah and it's just like oh you want to have a call with me and it's like yeah <laughs> i want to meet your fucking boss dude because you're just handing out freebies where your boss actually could you know make more money let me talk to your boss you know what i mean and so it's tough I, like it's a whole fucking job <laughs> dealing with sponsors yeah yeah it really is it's a whole gig um, I've got a I've got a buddy um, would really launch me into YouTube. I uh, went over to his place and um, started talking to him, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I I just got like my first big. Um, I was kind of like at a, a plateau for sponsors, and then uh, he passed a million subs, and he's now making six figures a video." I was like, "Oh shit! Wow! Wow!" <laughs> yeah. It's insane what some of these companies um, have to budget into promo, especially now that like, I mean, what do you buy like a magazine ad or a TV spot? There's, I mean, yeah, you don't really have that at this point because they know the yeah. young audience doesn't give a shit about any of that at all. Yep. And, the, and then when you look at all the specialty gear, I'm sure it's the same in the woodworking world as it is in the film world. Like last week, I just went to uh, one of the big conventions out here just to hang out with some of the sponsors. It was like uh, Cinegear in Los Angeles. So yeah, I heard that episode. That sounded tight. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. <laughs> it was part of the reason why I have acid reflux. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I went and fucking hung out with these dudes. And just that weekend alone, like uh, uh, Aerie, the big, the big camera and lighting company, they just released their new camera. And each camera 
base level is like 75 grand. Dude, that and, 35 looks so sick though. Yeah, dude. And like how like and I was walking around talking to like <laughs> a lot of freelance shooters and they were just like, "Yeah, I just put my down payment." And I'm like, "Fuck, how much money did these guys make today?" And so when you're talking to these companies and they play poor mouth where they're like, "Well, you know, we only have It's like, "No, no, 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 no." No, 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 no. The owner has you know, like how many Lamborghinis at this point? You, you guys have plenty of cash. You have plenty of money. There's a great episode. For those of you listening, go back and listen to, um, I had Ted from uh, Aperture on the show. And he really gives insight into owners of companies that build gear and stuff. So, cool. uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we talked about sponsorships. Your backlog. Oh, some, thanks, dude. There, yeah, there's some good stuff in there. I. It, it's funny. There's not a lot that... I don't know, border, maybe there is. I'm just not getting served it. But uh, as far as the storytelling and the process and, and the whole filmmaking side of it, I haven't dove really deep into. So it's it's cool to hear all of that from your side and your point of view. Oh, cool. Oh, you mean in general? I was like, there's plenty of episodes about that on my show. <laughs> oh, no, I mean in general, like shows. I haven't been, I get served business and woodworking shows basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, this show has then blown up a bit, uh, and now we're do, like we're very much food and chef. I mean, because I cook all the time, and then I've, I've directed for chef stuff, and then I have a really—I don't know if you've seen it. You'd probably dig it. I've got a really cool piece that I did for Dale Strong, which is a half chef, half woodworking piece, and it's about a chef that also works in a wood shop, and it's beautifully shot. I'll have to send that over to you. So cool. You can see yeah. That. Yeah. Anyway, this is us talking. Let's get let's get back into woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So then you uh, built this bench, uh, and then had all sorts of hits on uh, what was it? YouTube. So you posted everything up on YouTube. Everything was Instagram still at that point. Okay. Um, and and right about then is when Nelson hit me up, um, and I was shooting on a Nikon D seven fifty, which mm-hmm. awesome photo camera not so much, um, for video. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ended up trading Nelson a, like a storage blanket chest for his a seven three. And I recently just upgraded to a seven four, um, 10 bit four two two is next level. Um, especially for us colorblind folks shooting log, um, <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. I forgot. You said you were colorblind. Oh, wow. Okay. I had s- this, it's been such a learning curve. Like if you watch my videos, even from a year ago, like <laughs> everything's wrong. I've had to learn entirely how to grade off of lumetri scopes. Uh, like I can't see greens or magentas in the highlights without them. I can tell something's like sort of like bland or washed out about like a shot, but I I have no idea what's wrong with it. Fascinating. See, okay, fascinating. Because a lot of people, when I started in this business, scopes were incredibly important for broadcast and there was broadcast specs. But then a lot of people now with everything, whether you're on set and even some of the hacks that are in the color room, they're just buying what they think are calibrated monitors and they're just sort of uh, color grading. Eyeballing it. Yeah, yeah. But scopes are so fucking important. Uh, especially if you're just trying to match shots and match the color quality between shots. But I, it must be like a, a seeing eye dog for you. What are you talking about? Dude, being colorblind? If, there, if there is anybody listening that's colorblind, 
this is not on the internet. I, I could not find it. Like I have sort of come across this process. My shop is really warm because it's all wood tones, right? Yep. So, um, uh, if you're looking at the parade, RGB parade, you want the peaks to be linear. So if you connect the peaks, you can kind of see different peaks in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, where pick a few different, cause sometimes there's like, you've got like a, I don't know, magenta toned light or something, but, um, in general, you want it to be linear and it doesn't have to be straight across, but just a straight line between the peaks. If you have to draw a kink in that line to hit your greens, the mm-hmm. whatever's in the center, I think mm-hmm. greens, mm-hmm. Um, then you are off. So linear. Yeah. So what was the first test of that? Were you like, I think I got this right. And then you called your wife in and she's like, that looks purple. (laughs) Like, how did you, how did did you figure it all out? So I was doing everything in DaVinci, but then like I had all the LED overheads in the shop and Mm -hmm. then I got like a Godox, Godox, whatever, uh, uh, spotlight. And then I got the two Amaran, D200s or whatever they are. And then I've got the quasars. So not everything's outputting the same color, especially if I open up the garage door, I've got like a bunch of green bushes that bring a whole bunch of green into the shop. So Mm -hmm. I just have my wife sit on the couch next to me. My, uh, my office is in the living room, which now is in retrospect, a really poor idea. Um, (laughs) as she's huddled in the bedroom right now, I was like, you got to be quiet for like two hours. Uh, yeah, she just sit here and I'd be like, okay, how's this look? And she's like, I don't know what I'm looking at. And I'm like, okay, but does this look better or worse? Like one or two? (laughs) I don't know what I'm looking at. I was like, ah, you're looking like at the colors. She's like, yeah, I don't don't know. That looks fine. I'm like, no, there's something off about it. (laughs) To just like do the slider. It was such a pain in the ass. Oh, wow, dude. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Um, And okay. So, so what colors you can't see greens and, and magentas? Is that the range? So like all neons look the same to me. Um, I think you see like a normal color vision is something in the billions of tones of greens and I'm in the hundreds of thousands of tones. Uh, Blues and purples look pretty similar. Reds and greens look uh, pretty similar. Browns and greens. uh, Wild. Wild. Yeah. So how are you picking your woods? Like how are you specific? Do, Do you just know... That's interesting. Are you are you designing your stuff in the color palette that you can see? Like how how does that work for the wood shop stuff? I mean, so wood tones, I guess, are light toned or dark toned. I typically prefer to work in walnut, though. Uh, you're you're in California, so the mm-hmm. walnut species that's in California is actually a hybridization between Eastern and Oregon walnut and. It's called Clara Walnut, which is super red in tone. And if you get any like cross hybridization of Claro in there, all the walnut turns really red, mm. which I built an entire like $8,000 tabletop for a designer. And I got it in the space and she's like, ooh, it's really red. Oh, I was no. like, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> uh, and like, I, I just couldn't see the red tones in it. Oh, man. Wild. Yeah. Wild, wild. Well, I mean, your 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 designs are fascinating. Okay, so how long have you been woodworking at this point? Four years. Four years. And so where are you um, 
where are you getting so how are you getting your designs are you looking things up and then sort of uh, playing with them and shifting them at that point or do you are you now at the point where you're imagining specific things because you've been working with wood long enough and you're able to put it together i can definitely like picture form a little better i think there's sort of like a a checkpoint, I guess, would be the right word for that, where when I first started woodworking, it was all about like the craftsmanship, like I want to make the perfect dovetail and I wanted to make the seamless joint and I wanted to craft like the perfect square thing. And after you get to that, it's like, okay, I can do that. And there's something about me, I just want the next hardest thing. And as soon as you introduce curves into 3D space, um, visualizing and conceptualizing that gets really fucking tricky and really fun. Um, like it's just uh, more headache, more reward at the end. Hmm. Um, so I, I was trying to do more curvy designs but i didn't really have a like aim for that and um Hmm. i guess last year uh really sort of changed my whole approach to design and uh so my wife and i lost our son oh Um, man i'm sorry to hear that yeah yeah pretty fucking shitty year and I made his urn, um, and then, like, that was kind of a good way to get back in the shop. Mm-hmm. And then a couple reached out, and they had lost their 16-year-old son um, a few years back. Brutal. They saw the urn that I made. So my son's name was Saber, which is... Um, there's a phenomenon at a very new moon that is called Saber's Beads, where like light reflects off of the craters and it uh, uh, mimics the diamond ring of a total solar eclipse, which is where I proposed my wife under at a music festival. <laughs> okay. And so we've got like this moon theme. So I made this box that was like all curved, bent laminated, um, just, uh, it, and it looked like a, a uh, a solar eclipse. Oh, wild. Wild. And then um, this couple, their son was into woodworking. He was musical. And his dad wrote this just like really long email. I just asked him to tell me about him. And I had such a fun, I mean, uh, fun's not probably the right word there, but it was a really interesting process to like tell that story that he told me and like represent in an abstract way, all of these parts of his life into a piece that I was crafting. Hmm. And, um, I, his, like his dog shadow for which he was named for his propensity to disappear into the shadows. Uh, uh, and there's like a dark panel on the back of the piece and there's these two rotating, uh, teardrop shapes. One of them is black, sort of like an eternal pal protector uh, that sort of... Yeah, I saw that one on your on your Instagram. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah man. And uh, like, uh, as, we're, as we're talking, I'm just sort of looking through now. I just saw the urn that you created too. It's gorgeous. Like really Thank beautiful, you. man. Um, fuck, man. That must have been so goddamn... How, how old was your son when you lost him? 
Um, so he was 52 hours. Um, he came out totally fine. Um, and it was, I, a happy story. I'll send you the video I made. It's sort of a sad video, but, um, yeah, he has a genetic metabolic disease. So basically mm. every ounce of energy he produced, uh, was poisoned to his body. He had uh, oh lactic God. acidosis. Uh, my wife and I both have a, it's our only defect on our entire genome and it's not the same defect and it's, but it's close enough together on the same gene to cause dysfunction. And, um, our chance of meeting in the wild, it's never been seen before, um, <laughs> outside of like, um, inbred population, like inbred couples, you know, yeah. people and, uh, ever like it's never been studied. And our chances is like one in 62 and a half billion, but a 25% chance that our, any of our children will have it. So. Oh my God, dude. Ugh. Yeah. So then, uh, fucking like loss and it's always, I mean, the unfortunate part is that everybody has to deal with loss at some point. It's something that comes through It's something that, uh, is ultimately going to happen. And so it's always interesting to see, how people process that. And then if it's processed in a healthy way and whether or not that loss, you know, propels you to a new level as a human. Um, and so uh, it's interesting to see you, you know, turn to your craft and turn to woodworking for that. And then have that be inspiring where you're actually helping out other people um, with it too. Like w was, did you, were you deep into woodworking after that had happened? Like, was that part of your recovery process? Um, well, my wife had maternity leave. So, I mean, honestly, we just sat on a fucking couch and watched Casey Neistat for three months straight. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. But, um, and it was hard getting back into the shop, like back into the swing of things. So, I didn't do a lot of woodworking then. Um, that, it, it, it's funny, they're like with loss it, it, there's almost like this intense numb, uh, like you never get it all at once. It, yeah. it comes in little doses and the rest of the time just sort of like indifference. Yeah. So, um, uh, building Saber's urn didn't really like break the numb that much. I don't know. It just seemed like I was trying to figure out how to get back into the like motion and movement of things and like find that, that desire to get out in the shop again. And, but with Axel, um, the other, uh, couple that I did that, that memorial piece for, yeah, uh, that was really, uh, healing. It let me break through that numb a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, yeah. Loss is so fucking hard. Cause you like, it's such a, it's such a shock to your system. Right. And so like it, it breaks a plan for you. So like the, the plan is broken and then your routine's broken. And then when I process loss, or when I used to process loss being like a dude, it was always like, okay, let's just get through this. You know what I mean? Let, let, let's go to the next level. And and uh, no matter how hard or how frustrated, how hard I tried or how frustrated I was with how, how long it fucking took, it just takes long. It takes a long time to get over losing someone or something. Um, and yeah. I, I had a, a friend of mine say it really well 
to me. He said that uh, with loss or with losing something or with change like that, you just sort of have to like float in it. You have to just sort of, it's like being in in the wake of of something and you just have to lay on your back and float through it and know that you're floating through this thing knowing that as long as you just continue to float through it you'll get to the other side but you just have to let it do its fucking thing and, and yeah. it's really difficult and being someone that is like very much like a producer planner someone that's a director who likes to control things we uh, want to fix it yeah it's like, what, fixer how, yeah yeah yeah, dude, 100%. And especially if you're going through it with someone else, you're like, how do I fix, how do I help fix that other person? And with me, if I'm going through stuff with my girl, I'm always thinking about her first. Like, how do I make it easier on her first? And how do I do this? And uh, often neglecting how I'm feeling about these things. And and it, it catches up with you. It really does. It sucks, For man. Sure. It really sucks. Um, that's terrible, man. But it, like the back end of it, you know, I'm happy that it brought you back into your work in in one way or another, you know? Yeah, and I think, like, the video uh, making that earn, like, the the amount of just, like, feeling that I had and the amount that it affected that family, mm-hmm. like, that was really the, the catch for me. I was like, holy shit, this is super powerful. Um, and... I was like, how do I do this with every piece? Yeah. Yeah. And like it, it's super emotionally taxing. Like it takes everything to like pour into that process. And like, I'm, I'm doing stuff that I have never like thought I would do or thought could be done in mm-hmm. wood. Um, and so even the technical side of it's really tough when you try to do that, but it's so rewarding on so many different levels. So yeah, I've just been sort of exploring recently how to, uh, how to do that all the time. It makes sense, man. I mean, that's as a filmmaker, that's what we're constantly trying to do is find an emotional connection, emotional context to it. Something that you know, inspires emotion. I don't know how else to say it. And yeah. uh, like it, when you find that, the technical hurdles seem so much smaller. You know, it seems so much, uh, it's not easier, but you're so much more driven um, by trying to tell a story or trying to tell someone else's story. Um, and it just makes the work better. And, you know, now knowing that, uh, looking at your work, that makes sense that you've been through that kind of emotional journey. And, uh, you know, how do you find that connection if, you, if someone calls you and says, hey, I want you to build me a table? <laughs> like, what's the process of getting that emotionally connected to the work, you know? Yeah, tables are hard because it's like, uh, <laughs> if I do a table, uh, I recently did one that was kind of fun. It was like a ingrain uh, cookie. So it's called basically you take a stump and take a section out of that stump, yep. um, side to side and you get all that ingrain with a big YouTuber here in town. And, um, I was like, okay, so the first thing I thought of was like, it reminds me it, like, it looks root, like, like roots, like it feels earthy. There's just something that just like gives these earthy vibes. And, I pitched him a design. I was like, okay, I really like mushrooms. 
of all kinds. And this reminds me of something that could be mushrooms. So I did like this bulbous bent laminated base in CAD and I pitched it to him. He's like, yeah, it's kind of bulbous. I was like, okay, um, what else does this remind me of? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm looking on your, okay. So anybody that's listening to the show, definitely go, uh, to Sawyer's Instagram account while you're listening because you can scroll through these. That's what I'm doing right now. Is this the one that has like the almost looks like bent planks that are underneath the table itself? Yep. How do you fucking bend the wood like that, dude? Bent lamination. You'll just have to uh, go to youtube.com slash C slash Sawyer Design. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, so you take, uh, there's a couple different ways to bend wood. One is through steam and heat mm-hmm. um and that typically ends in a very organic shape that probably would have been really nice in this in on this table uh what i do is bent lamination which uh, my buddy mentor tim taught me how to do and it's taking a board and basically taking like 16th inch slices out of it and then gluing them back together over a form in a vacuum wild Wild, and uh, that's that's okay. So then it becomes a rigid, uh, a rigid object at that point because of the glue, the the gluing process. Like it, fascinating. Yeah. And then like some of the detail stuff is really fun too because you're taking it out of the same board, so you're getting sequential, um, a sequential read across the grain, mm-hmm. um, and then you can book match those slices. So I buy it in what's called flitches, which is basically an entire log that's just been sliced in 16th inch if i'm purchasing them sometimes i saw them in shop uh but then you can really play with like how the grain mirrors across a plane in multiple dimensions and then after you bend it it looks like it's a solid piece of wood because you've got that continuous grain match through the thickness of the board Oh, yeah, I, I totally see that. That's why visually I'm like, wow, how the fuck did you do that? That's fascinating, dude. Yeah, wow. and that was the second version, actually. So the first one failed. Um, now, now I'm getting into more, I wish I had gone to school for engineering. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because that cookie, it was 54 inches in diameter and weighed 200 pounds. Um, and I'm trying to support it on a two-inch... Uh, you know, platform basically that flares out at the bottom. And I dropped one inch steel pipe with three quarter inch steel pipe sleeved inside of it. And it was like a jack in the box. Uh, you could push it and it would just blah, 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 uh, kind of back and forth. It had some wobble. So I rebuilt the entire thing. There's a couple things I wasn't super pleased with in version one proportions being one that one's really hard to nail down in CAD. The second is like how those laminations sort of taper and just uh, dissipate into the bottom of the base, um, getting like a very sharp point, but not something that'll break. And because there's, I mean, there's so much in the process. It's almost like the last thing you have to do is make that join and really getting that transition to be super soft and seamless and, and, not a visual stop. Like I didn't want people to look down that line and then stop at the bottom of it. I wanted it to continue. And then their eyes, you know, go around the piece and kind of all gathers in one place up underneath the table. So there's a lot of stuff going on and it's just fun to figure out all those little, 
nuances that maybe first glance or 10th glance you don't appreciate, but like the 10th year of living with something like this that really it's like, oh, wow, I we just took mushrooms and I'm really appreciating like what he did here. <laughs> Sorry, man. My microphone just went down. Uh, wild, dude. Wild shit. Um, are you still there? Yeah. Oh, sorry, buddy. <laughs> no, you're <laughs> um, So, um, well, I, I mean, the piece is gorgeous. At the end of the day, it's fucking amazing, dude. Thanks. Yeah, dude. Um, well, so, like, so then what was, this was a collaboration? So, the, what was the video collaboration that it was? So, I didn't make the top for that. Uh, another YouTuber, Blacktail Studio Cam, um, made that, and we got done with it, and the moisture content and the slab was off. So it was basically junk. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So I've got two bases in my living room, which my <laughs> wife is totally stoked about. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> um, so, uh, fucking wild dude. Wild. Do you do any wood woodworking? When, when I was a kid, I, uh, you know, took woodworking when I was in like, like high school and stuff. I think I built like uh, a stock clock and I did like a, like a cabinet once. Um, but, um, I never stuck with it. My brother, he's the, you know, general contractor. He's the woodworker. He's the guy that, that builds all sorts of stuff. Um, when I was back on the East coast, cause I'm originally from Boston. And, uh, when I was back on the East coast, I'd be calling him and my uncle, consistently to come build sets and build me specific tables and do that kind of stuff. Um, I've always loved it. And I grew up um, like sort of shadowing um, a mechanic and a woodworker as a kid. So when I was, you know, 13 through 17, 18, I was always in shops and like trying to put things together and most of the time organizing tools and sweeping floors. Um, but um, yeah. I love it, man. I, I like the craft itself is really fun and interesting and, I need a hobby, but I, I don't know if woodworking is necessarily going to be relaxing for me because it is so specific and I'm not, I, I'm a passionate cook, not necessarily a technical cook. So, so the idea of like fucking up a measurement or something, I think I would lose my mind. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see that. It It's, I mean, I don't know if I'd be into it if i didn't have an adderall script uh that definitely <laughs> helps like it, it it definitely is something that takes a lot of attention there's so much repetition yeah um and i think the end is probably the most fun of the process <laughs> oh when, when you're when you're like standing it up <laughs> yeah the yeah. rest is just really loud dusty yeah, I mean, but the loud and dusty stuff, I've always liked shop stuff. I've always liked to be around that kind of thing. I like it, man, and the smell of wood. Um, but at this point, it's a, it's got to be a very expensive thing to do, too, because the prices of wood and the prices of material, especially after COVID, have gone through the fucking roof, right? Yeah. Um, I thought, you know, getting into this, like I thought that woodworking, I was like, man, I've picked the most expensive hobby. I was really stoked when Instagram took off and I started getting like some free tools um, in exchange for promotion. But then I got into videography and I'm like, holy shit, woodworking is, you know, uh, a cheap hobby compared to producing video. So it, 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 
wood right now is expensive. Uh, futures just crashed, so we should yeah. see some correction here in the next couple of months. It's been sort of rough for the last you know year or so, but uh, I would say if video gear doesn't um, scare you or put you in a cardboard box on the street, then woodworking probably won't look that expensive. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you also have to have the space for it, too. So you got to have the space and then you start buying the, like, I used to work on cars when I was a kid. And then I hit a certain age where I'm like, I don't want to bring the tools around. I don't want to be working in my driveway. You know what I mean? So you also have to be sure to, it's an investment as far as tools and everything are concerned as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, we got lucky. (laughs) So at the end of medical school, there's this thing called the match and basically you match. And then a month later you have to be at your residency assignment and they get to rank their programs and the programs rank the students, but you don't really know where you're going until right before. So, uh, there was like, Hey, you're going to Portland. And we came here and man, we spent like three days. We looked at every house on the market and, I was like, okay, it looks like I'm working in a one-car garage with a dirt floor and no power because there's just nothing available. Um, And then we stumbled across this place um, for pretty reasonable, considering the alternative that would be like a commercial space for me. And it has a detached two-car garage, which is um, already way too small. Um, Yeah, right for production anyways yeah but <laughs> yeah totally totally yeah because now you're you're running wood shop gear and now you're running production gear at the same time so yeah i've got i've got audio treatment all the way through the uh, living room um. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, like at this point do you feel like the the filming aspect of it is overshadowing the the woodworking aspect I think of it a year ago, if you asked me what I did, I would say I build fine custom furniture. Um, right now, it, scaling hand-built stuff is so difficult to maintain quality. Uh, it's got to be like a price thing, and you can only sell like so many ten, twenty thousand $20,000 tables. There's just not a lot of people out there, and yeah. um, YouTube has way more potential. Um so uh, I would say now I definitely a YouTuber of my woodworking. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Like it's, I'm working on a piece right now. It's our first real piece that I've made that we get to keep, which is pretty cool. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah, it's wild how <laughs> how social media and how the internet and how everybody's sort of uh, thirst to live vicariously through other people doing things has become its own industry. And whether you're talking woodworking or if you're talking food, it's huge in fucking food now. The amount of um, just it, like social media chefs that exist and they're just creating stuff for that. I mean, you should <laughs> you should be happy that you're not doing food because with food, you actually have to do the process multiple different times just to get the shot right. So if you're frying an egg, you're probably frying like six eggs to get the perfect egg. Dude, uh, seriously. Yeah. We tried to figure out sourdough starter the other weekend. And um, 
I was watching some of the like content. I was just really appreciating. They had like 17 loaves of bread just to show you how to make like one <laughs> sourdough loaf. Yeah. 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 There's a piece. A lot of folks are constantly asking me to do recipe stuff and I might do some of them, but there you forget. You're like, well, it's not like I just go in the kitchen and make a sandwich and film that. It's like, oh no, I'm doing like multiple stages of prep. I have to do like multiple versions of that prep. And then by the time I change the camera, to another position so like if it took you normally about 15 minutes to make a sandwich to videotape a sandwich it probably takes you about four hours five hours to do it so it's it's definitely a commitment <laughs> yeah very yeah. much so i don't know if you listen to colin and samir but they had a uh, uh, babish on which is uh-huh uh, if you know cooking you may know him yeah. um dude that guy makes bank like 17 loaves bring him on because he's pulling in seven figures a month i know yeah it's wild man and then you know what separates you amongst the pack when you're when you're doing these things and and half the time it isn't you know the quality most of the time it's not the quality of the video that you're doing it's just the entertainment business is so weird it's just right place right time right um you know, heart, I guess is the way to put it. Like people connect with specific individuals. People connect with honesty. People connect with people. Like uh, when I'm casting movies, one of the first things that I do is I look at this person and say, do I want to look at them for an hour and a half? Do I want to, do I, is there something fascinating about them? And this is something that's beyond their control as a, yeah. a as a person. And so you're just like, what is fascinating about this? And does this enthrall me? And um, it's the same thing with all this, you know, like, is there something that appeals? Does this person appeal to me? Does this person turn me on? Does this person, uh, you know, uh, give me nostalgic vibes? Is there something that, that, uh, that makes this worth watching? And that's really hard to plan for when you're doing like a business, when you're doing a business strategy and you're trying to put something together, you're like, okay, for the, sure. The lightning in the bottle elements, like how do I fucking put that into a business strategy? Um, yeah. Everything about YouTube is so confusing because like the ones that are doing really well, um, I just don't get some of it. <laughs> and uh, if you try to do that stuff, it tanks. Like you can't, replicate it's like everything has to be its own unique value proposition like that's all there is to it yeah yeah and then when you're looking at some of the larger numbers you also have to remind yourself that the giant the giant um uh management companies or uh agent companies like uh william morris and caa they're repping uh influencers now and so yeah. there's this sense of Influencers knowing influencers, influencers being connected with people that know how to get the numbers up. And so some of the bigger stuff, uh, it's a smart business move. Whether you're a stand-up comedian, you already have an audience, you already have a team, you have access. You know, access is a big part of it. Um, that helps drive numbers. Um, but it's always weird because every once in a while, there's just like a guy like you who's like just plugging away. And he's doing really great work and fascinating stuff. And all it takes is one video. And that one video gets seen by somebody who reposts it. And they have a massive fucking audience. 
Um, and the next thing you know, uh, you know, you're getting like, you know, one tenth of that audience or, or, you know, 20% of that audience. And then you're rolling with it, man. So yeah, the, the thing that we say in our business all the time is that it's just about sticking with it. And it's about uh, playing the long game. And if you can afford to play the long game, then if you're in it long enough, then one of two things are going to happen. Eventually, you're going to crack it. Eventually, someone's going to notice and, and they're going to go with it. Or you're eventually going to realize that you can't afford to stick with that long game and you're going to do something else. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with the movie business, it's fucking brutal. If you think that <laughs> YouTubing is brutal, try to take your idea and then filter it through like this tiny little fucking pathway at the top uh, to actually get it made. Um, and when I just, just when I think I've been through the longest hurdle of, of, of time, you're hit with another one and you're like, man, I'm not even fucking prepared for this. Um, so it's pretty intense. And so yeah, the, the whole like hitting mass appeal, yeah, like uh, finding something, it doesn't have to be the same thing. Many things that appeal to a broad audience to that. I mean, that's really what pushes it out to everyone, but like finding those little nuggets that are going to be the reason somebody hits share or, you know, somebody texts their friend, like, go see this film. Uh, like that's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard, man. It's very hard. Um, well, dude, this has been great. Where are we at? Ah, uh, yeah, we're about an hour. So I should probably wrap this up. Is there any questions that you want to ask me? Is there anything that you wanted to know while you got me on the line? I'm curious about, I mean, gosh, there's so many things that I've had a hard time with. Uh, uh, what is a story, like, what does your storyboard look like? Are you setting up for, like, every single shot and angle? Is there, like, how, how much, like, free flow is there to your process? Um, I'm curious because mm -hmm. I'm flying by the seat of my pants, and I feel like what I've seen it seems like bigger production is very, very uh, meticulously planned out ahead of time. But it, I guess yeah. that's maybe the the experience in the field and knowing what where that light needs to be and like what the camera angle and exposure and ND and everything needs to be at that you know moment well, while. Yeah. 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 Not to, not to interrupt you, but dude, you got to remember it's all about, it's all about what the project is. Yeah. Like I had a friend of mine over here yesterday and he was like, Hey, I need to shoot a shot in your place to wrap up my, my music video that I was doing. And I was like, okay. And this is a shout out to you, Brett. Uh, and then he was like, yeah, I just need a shot. And then he calls me back. He goes, I just need your camera. And then he calls me back. He goes, I just need you to shoot it. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, oh okay. Um, and at that level, there really isn't much planning at all, but it still comes out really great. Um, it, it just depends on how how expensive it's going to be, how expensive each minute is, right? How many people you need uh, to uh, accomplish this thing? Because with larger films, you need you know hundreds of people sometimes. And so yeah, those, those credit pages. <laughs> yeah. Dude. And so the only way to get through it is if you're doing your job as a director and your job as a director is really in the prep. It really is. So sure. whether you're talking about 
planning out how many shots you're going to do, whether you're talking about putting together a list of questions that you have for your actors, or whether it's breaking down a script and, and coming up with as many alternate ideas as you possibly can. Um, it's showing up to set with a plan. And when you have that plan, then everybody knows that they can trust you um, as the leader of the submarine that could potentially sink at any point. And they also um, know that at the end of the day, if everybody shows up hungover to work, you could just follow the plan, you know, just do the amount of shit that we need to get done and we'll at least get a movie today. We'll at least get the shots that we need. My move is I plan as much as I possibly can and I give myself time to throw the plan out the window if we find something that's really organic and interesting. Um, yeah. And so, and then the other move too, I am pretty heavily involved with a lot of different things because I've done a lot of different things, but you honestly are collaborating with people that are picking up the slack. So like you're hanging out with a great cinematographer and that cinematographer understands ND, understands filters, understands lights. I'm not even thinking about that stuff. If I'm sure. working with a good cinematographer, I tell him the look I want, or I tell her the vibe that I need or the tone that I need. Um, and they, will take my ideas or my boards and put it through their own process, put it through their own personal algorithm um, and make that work. And so when you're doing larger stuff as a director, you're more of a, uh, a football coach, a social cheerleader and a therapist really. And you're, <laughs> you're, you're just organizing all these people around you and trying to, keep what is brought to you for choices as they bring like trays full of different options. You're just trying to keep that online or in line with the original vision while also uh, maintaining a, a wider viewpoint where you're like, ah, you know, this bullshit idea that I came up with at home on my desk isn't as interesting as this thing that you're bringing me. So let's go that way. And so let's turn the aircraft carrier to the left. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then yeah. go down this whole new path with it. So, um, okay. So I'm curious, put yourself, if you had, I, I'm sure you have at some point, if you're playing all of those roles, where are you putting priority in the process? Are you putting priority towards having it look really good? Are you uh, trying to get the, like, uh, I, I've been trying to, one of my biggest hurdles is I'm trying to find a story that goes along with the craft. And like, I want to appeal to the woodworkers, but those are a small niche. Mm -hmm. And the story is really what's going to broaden that audience. Mm -hmm. So is it nostalgia? Is it like taste in music? Like I like editing to the beat and having really good tunes, but then I'll like the old woodworkers fucking hate that. Like, what is this music? There's no banjo. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, like there, uh, I, I'm not sure if there's a formula to what is the like perfect recipe. But if you were in my place, where would you place the most emphasis and attention well dude you, old woodworkers are just gonna be bitchy the whole fucking time anyways so <laughs> that's like, true why are you trying to appeal to old woodworkers i mean if you're doing stuff for social media you're doing stuff for kids you know you're doing stuff for young adults or or, or you know 20 year olds or 30 year olds someone that's either looking for a hobby or someone that has uh, a little extra mommy and daddy's fucking cash and they want to blow it on some sweet furniture you know what i mean and so at the end of the day uh 
your story about your son and the urn and all that stuff is impactful. Uh, to quickly give you a point of reference, years ago I almost died. And so I fell on the ice, cracked my skull. Whole long story. Everybody on the show's heard it a hundred times. Um, but wow. that story was the was the reason I did 12KM. And so that inspired me to make this movie about losing your mind and this whole process that I went through. But as I went around and pitched that proof of concept that I made to all the different production companies in town in Hollywood, um, my story about almost dying and my story about the head injury and how that changed my life is what got that movie picked up. Sure. And so it isn't necessarily how good the movie is. It isn't now necessarily how tech, I mean, of course, it's a beautiful film. It's technically gorgeous. And th that alone, when they pick something like that up, they, they go, look, we trust you. You're amazing at what you fucking do. You need to be. But at the end of the day, it's having solid, emotional, uh, relatable stories that bring in a broader audience. It just is what it is. And, and so I think I, you can technically shoot a fucking empty room really well, but no one yeah. gives a shit. And, and I, we say this all the time. My girlfriend's a fashion photographer. And for years, she has been doing amazing and gorgeous work, but she's been filming people that no one knows. And as soon as she shot with Robert Pattinson for the GQ thing, the whole Batman thing, as soon as she shot that, everybody blew it up because of Robert Pattinson being in front sure. of that camera. So at the end of the day, if you're looking for where to place your energy, if you're looking to place where to place your, your funding – it's in front of the fucking camera. Like you have to have something there that people want to see that is fascinating, that enthralls them, that turns them on. It goes back to that statement again. You know what I mean? That's the most important part of any content. Um, and that's what, that makes it better. And I mean, that's the struggle that I have with this show. Yeah. Uh, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. I'm working on a uh, dresser that I have dubbed the shark dresser, <laughs> which um, I have like this whole process of how I got there, but I'm trying to figure out like, okay, now <laughs> how the fuck do I get people to click on this? Cause like <laughs> that makes zero sense if you're reading it on a page. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Descriptions are really important and dude, music is great. I mean, uh, if you've been listening to the show, you've heard me plug jam box. The reason I love those guys is that their music is so emotionally fucking great. Um, and, uh, it's inexpensive. It's not, this isn't a plug, but it's, a, it's inexpensive and it's emotionally driven. And so yeah. music is so fucking important on any visuals that you do. Um, I was just watching like the Jennifer Lopez doc on fucking Netflix last night. And, you know, we're supposed to feel bad for this person that is almost a billionaire and everything that she's talking <laughs> about is like tugging on our heartstrings because of the song choices that they pulled in the background. It sure helps you forget the fact that like oh wait a minute this woman is a, a fucking corporation why am i why am i crying for her <laughs> you know I mean? yeah we, we started it last night and then i was like she just doesn't seem she seems very mean yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm not talking shit about you jennifer it's just you know when you watch these docs on netflix it's the music it really is and when you watch any of the editing or, or any of our stuff that's really great. It's the sound, it's the music. And so uh, you can shoot, I always say this, you can shoot something that looks like shit and people will think it's an artistic choice. 
But if you shoot something or put something out that's got bad sound, they go, this guy sucks. <laughs> so you have to have good recorded audio and you have to have great emotional sound and creative emotional sound. And that will yeah. totally make things interesting for people. You know, um, um, how do you get permission from, I mean, I guess you probably reached out to, uh, uh, was Chris your contact uh, with this, the keeper? Oh, I think my, for, for, I, think my, I, I think my buddy Chris is their manager. Yes, for Magic Sword. Yes, we yeah. wanted to come back to that. Uh, I just reached out to Magic Sword directly. So, yeah, I reached out to the keeper, uh, and uh, we talked uh, through Instagram, and I've had a bunch of, like, Synthwave on the show. I love Synthwave. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he was like, fuck yeah. And then I met him uh, here in Los Angeles because they were coming here to do a show, so I did a whole episode with them. Um, and he's like, love your shit. You can use our music. And so, uh, these guys know that I'm not like making cash or tons of cash off of their stuff and it's really great advertising for them. And so, yeah, I mean, it works out that way, but if you can't, like, if you can't get access to, uh, musicians like I do on the show, once again, use a company like Jambox that has really great fucking music and great musicians and their subscription plans are fucking dirt cheap. And you can use the songs for a podcast or social media easily and not have to worry about it. And it's really good stuff. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, dude, this has been really great, Nick. I got to cut us off. Um, yeah. But uh, I should have you back on the show and uh, we, we should talk some more about this Sounds stuff. Sounds great. It's yeah. been a lot of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for being here, my man. My pleasure. If anybody uh, wants to check out some of my work, Sawyer Design with an underscore between it for Instagram. That was a confusing way to say it. Sawyer <laughs> underscore design uh, or YouTube Sawyer Design. Um, check it out. I'd love to hear what you guys think. We'll make it easy for you guys. We'll put all those links in the uh, description of this episode. So thanks again, Nick. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. There it is. Today's episode it was a great one. Um, I was not expecting it to go where it did. I was absolutely not expecting it to be uh, such a video contenty thing. I thought that I was just going to be talking about creating furniture and working with uh, woodworking tools, but it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense um, that in today's uh, business, uh, you need to have such a great social media presence because all of the clients, all of the younger clients are finding everything on Instagram, everything in the middle of their dopamine buying rush. They're also looking for furniture. They're also looking for food products, clothing products. Everything's put through that. And uh, you need to make sure that your quality level is at par with them so that it registers, right? Because, you know, most people look at like a shitty job and they go, okay, so this is a schlocky business. It's crazy how many people don't understand how much work goes into making just the most basic YouTube video. Um, I really like Nick uh, and his stuff is really cool. And I'm very happy that he was able to go deep and share his experiences, how the stuff that he's been through and how he was able to process loss um, because we all will. You all will have to do that. It's coming one way or another. You're going to have to deal with it. And uh, it's tough. It's a tough thing to go through. And loss changes people. It really does. It really does. But just know 
that we all go through it. We all have to deal with it. And um, if you can get through it, if you can get to the other side, you might just end up being a better person for it. And you'll have those life experiences, especially as a storyteller. Because now, when you're trying to explain to an actor what it's like, you'll go, well, maybe I know something about this. Maybe I can shed, let me tell you the story that I went through, and that may change your entire performance for your piece. You know, so there is, you know, there is a layer, there's the golden layer underneath the shit that you got to go through for a lot of this. So keep that in mind if you're someone that is dealing with loss, if you're someone that's going through it. And, you know, therapy's a big thing. It took me a long time, Gina, long time, convinced me to go into that. And sometimes you need to find some help. And there are plenty of options out there for that. Um, or sometimes it's just nice to talk to people. Um, so, yeah. Hope you guys liked this episode. I had a blast with it and uh, plenty more on the way. And uh, thank you to the musicians that support the show and, and provide us music. Big shout out to Magic Sword. I'm going to leave you guys with a track from them. I think it's funny. <laughs> it's funny how, how small this world is and how many people know people. It's weird, man. It's very weird. You notice that shit? Um, well, that's it. I'm not going to rant and rave anymore. Uh, love you guys, and as always, I will see you next Tuesday. Thank you.